Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lawyers in the Making podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nate Crespo, and today we have another outstanding guest. She is a University of Oklahoma College of Law graduate and currently works as a trial lawyer and consultant at her very own Larrick Law Firm. She also has her very own podcast, Trial Lawyer Prep. Very excited to have her on the podcast today, Mrs. Elizabeth Larrick. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today? Thank you so much for having me, Nate. I am doing well, and I am excited to help and contribute today uh, to your podcast. So congrats to you for having a podcast as we're warming up. 14 episodes is great, and you know it's all about consistency. Well, I'm happy to hear that you're happy to be here. And thank you for the nice comment. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just lowly undergraduate student, you know, figuring my way through life. But before we get started, Elizabeth, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I can't. You did one, first of all, a lovely intro, I will tell you. Um, And kudos for getting the the name right. It's a little bit unusual, um, but about me. So I'm in Austin, Texas, and I have always practiced personal injury plaintiff side work and ran my own office for about eight years and then really decided the fun work was helping lawyers go to trial. And working for myself has always been super fun and having a lot of freedom to do things, to speak at CLEs, to just have a little more freedom in how you practice. And I've really tried to take advantage of that in being a solo and still now. Uh, I do have a little army of group people that help me do what I do. But uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, I have always lived in Texas, except for when I went to law school uh, in Oklahoma, and then, you know, got my way back to Texas pretty soon after. Well, I love to hear that you have your little army. I hope to have my own little army one day. That sounds awesome. Uh, you know, have some people working for me, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. You graduated from the University of North Texas political, you majored in political science and government, graduated in 2005, you took a little two-year gap from college to law school. Can you tell us a little bit why you went to law school? What was the decision? What went into it? Let us know. Yeah. Well, I think I always wanted to be a professional. And so for a while, I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist because um, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and their neighbor was a pharmacist. And I thought, so so cool. But turns out I'm really terrible at chemistry real bad. <laughs> so that kind of was like, okay, well, what are some other things that I'm interested in? And really um, the legal system and lawyers played a pretty big part in growing up, like as far as custody and that kind of family law stuff. And I really had impact at an early age that these people are making decisions about my life and people around me. And wow, this is this is really important. And they're doing this really important work. And so I was drawn very much into the legal system and wanted to be pre-law. Well, that's not really a thing. (laughs) So at least it wasn't in North Texas. Uh, So political science uh, was the route that, you know, that basically back in the day you would open up um, like they made a book with all the classes and you could, we did have online registration, but basically you would go to the, you'd look at the book and like, what is you go to your advisor and, so I did all that and I really loved uh, being at North Texas and I loved the political science department and the teachers there. And I got to do so much, like a lot of fun things. And one of the things that really solidified was I took an abroad, study abroad and we went to the criminal tribunal in The Hague mm-hmm. and we took a class and then we went and watched court. I just really loved it. And I loved the prosecutors, which were all from the US. And so that really sparked my, like, I want to be in the courtroom, like, that is what I want to do. And so I just kept going and I interned at DA's office as a in undergrad. Then I worked at a criminal law office and I really felt like criminal law was where I wanted to go. Um, of course, you go to law school, that doesn't always work out the way you think it will. But that's kind of really kind of what drove me was very early on seeing this system and understanding there were a lot of people that needed help because of the impact that it makes on your life. 
Yeah, so I actually had the privilege this past summer. I actually interned at my own my DA's office in, in my county. It was it was honestly an eye-opening experience. I really learned so like a tremendous amount. Uh I worked in a small department too. I worked in asset forfeitures. Uh so you know, it was definitely an interesting thing. I didn't even know what asset forfeitures was before I got into it. I mean, I the reason I picked it was because the office is like a block, like literally three blocks away from my house. And so that was the one where the department was. So I was like, OK, I might as well pick this, you know, short drive, two minutes. My other co-worker went like 35 minutes away from his ass. So that, you know, but he we still had a great time in there. Um, but what I found interesting, what you just said is you wanted to be a professional. I've never heard that before. that like what i have to ask what do you mean by like you wanted to be a professional I, you know, as a kid, like I couldn't really tell you other than like a small town group in a small town. Um, and you know, the people that I knew, my mom was teacher and all her friends were teachers. And then like, basically my grandpa was CPA, I knew doctors and it was like, I, for some other reason, like I had that in my mind, my, of course my grandfather wanted me to be a CPA, but I was not good with numbers. Um, little did I know, like, that's really not what they do. But anyhow, um, but I just always had in my mind, like, to be a professional. And I don't really know. I wish I could, like, expound that more. But it probably think comes down to I want to make a bunch of money. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, listen, that, that's a fine answer. What what came to my head is, like, you like the suits, the, the suit kind of culture. I like I love wearing a suit personally. I I think I look great, but that you know that's just maybe. You know, it's it it sounds so cool, and then when you have to do it all the time, you're like, okay, maybe not. You know, so, <laughs> but yeah, that goes with it though. Like that whole persona, like you've nailed it. Like you you wear a suit, like that's important. You do important things, and you get all this money, and so I think that's probably you know where all that was wrapped up in it. Well, I'd love to hear that. Now let's go to the University of Oklahoma College of Law. Do you have any reason why you picked that law school? Was it just the one you know that came up on your list? You're like, I'm gonna apply it. What went to what went into that? Um, I applied to a lot of places. Um, and really it kind of came down to University of Houston, KU, or Oklahoma. And I had options to go to a few other places too, but, you know, it really, for whatever reason I wanted to go. And again, you could, from where I was living at the time and didn't right? Houston was a long way. So that, <laughs> that was that amount, that drive was the same as driving to Oklahoma city. Um, and so then KU, but it really kind of came down to KU and Oklahoma city. And, um, I loved both those places and toured them and, um, I, you know, it just kind of came down to, okay, Oklahoma City, this is great. It's still close enough to drive back. And I had a little bit of scholarship money. So that's kind of how it came down to it. Yeah, money is always a big thing that that I hear in past episodes. And it should, it always should be. I mean, money is very important. You know, it just, it isn't made off of trees. My mother tells me that all the time. Um, but first year law school, people always say it's very traumatic. Was it as traumatic for you? Um, I don't know if traumatic is a, is a good word to use. I would say more of like, oh, this is a lot like high school. Cause it's, you know, it's a very small group of people. Um, and the way that it is set up, you spend this whole year with this really small group of people. Um, and, but at the same time, it's a totally different curriculum than you would be used to with school and I'd been out of school for a little bit. So I had to get back in school mode, which I love school. So it wasn't too terrible, but it's, it was. And then of course I, I was that person who like made pretty good grades in undergrad. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I should not be too bad. Oh my gosh. Like if the first semester I was like, Whoa, Whoa, like, okay. Clearly contracts are not my, you know, my, my bread and butter here. Let's do something else. Um, but after the second semester, it's like, oh, okay. And of course I had some really good advice before going to law school of like, listen, 
law school is you just get through it unless you are like an amazing, like top of the, you know, top 10 people, like everybody else is just kind of going to end up, you know, you're opening your own practice or you're going to go work for the government or whatever, like you're not going to get a job offer and that's okay. Just get through past the bar. Boom. You're a lawyer. And guess what? The rest of that stuff is just kind of history after you get there. So I had that advice already. So it was like, okay, like, you know, I wasn't like, Oh, I'm not, I can't ever be a lawyer. Like, so I knew it was survival and I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, it wasn't as traumatic, I guess, as I, I wouldn't use that word. I would say a little shocking okay. for sure. Shocking. Well, that that's, that's good to hear. Um, one day I will attribute this quote to someone, but I always, I it's like my little mantra. I always say the only way is through. Uh, I still remember in kindergarten that we had like our play and it's like, you know, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. So, you know, you got to go through it. It was like, I forget. It was like something peanut butter, something. It's like a peanut butter river. You had to go through it, but it always stuck with me. And I was like, oh, well, you know, this is true of law school now that, that the only way truly is through. Now, you had said before that contracts were not your bread and butter. And you'd also said before that, you know, you wanted to be a prosecutor, but it turned out that wasn't true. So how did you sort of figure out what you wanted to do with the law going forward from law school and even with in law school during that time? Sure. Well, I knew I need, I wanted to be in the courtroom. And so at the time, um, you, I don't know how it is now, but at, at the time they tell you in your first year, don't work. And so I didn't, but you know, the first summer, you know, so I just took the approach that I would try pretty much anything. And so, and I knew I wanted to do, so I did an internship with the public defender's office because I knew criminal law. Great. I can do that. Uh, so I did that. And then I also did an internship for insurance subrogation, which sounds like it's just a bunch of paper, but I got to do some pretty cool stuff. Um, I tried to make it as interesting as possible. Um, I also had an internships with insurance defense. I did a personal injury lawyer's office. I did a DA's office um, down in Fort Worth one summer. I did another DA's office. So I really tried to run the gamut to see. I, and then I also took family law classes in um, in school, while in law school, and then talked to some family lawyers to figure out like, okay, is this something that I want to do? So I knew like, okay, who practices in the courtroom? Figure that out. Like, so I tried to buy, try a little bit of everything. Um, and then I loved working in the DA's office, but there's only one spot. But my friend got the spot. So I'm glad I was, you know, she deserved the spot. And so I went and worked uh, at the time when I got out, jobs were just really, really thin and hard to find. And so I got a recommendation to a personal injury law firm and I already had done that work. So I was like, oh, I can do this. So, and they go to trial. So that was how I got my first job. Now this, this love for trial, it, did it, did it come from you seeing the trials or, or was it just, you, you sort of felt like you were the kind of person that, you know, this is the sort of thing I'd, I'd want to do. You have those skills to be a good trial lawyer. Well, that's definitely where the excitement is. Like trial is definitely exciting and it's what you build up for, um, and, Getting to see trial, yes, absolutely. It was like, whoa, this is where the action is. But, you know, of course, in reality, you learn like, oh, it's like years and months and like, you know, trial comes every once in a while. Uh, but I just, you know, it's the dance. That's what you like build up for. And that's like, that's what you see the movies about, like, you know, objection and the evidence. Ah, oh, that's where the excitement is. Uh, and of course, that's what you want. Uh, but that's, you know, practice is not always the same as movies and tv it's unfortunate i actually uh i i just i always talk about this it always comes up in the episodes but i born i just retired from mock trial actually i used to uh lawyer larp they may say that that gives it a bad rap but it really is a good time for anyone out there who's interested um i loved being a fake lawyer it was like one of my favorite things in the world um, I had the opportunity to give opening statements, closing statements, but even the objections, you know, sometimes they go on forever. And, you know, some, you know, 
sometimes I'd be pulling pulling some stuff out of my butt. Um, but but that's what that's what made it so lovely is, is is it really taught me some valuable things as well. You know, thinking on my feet, being able to sort of you know listen, actually listen to people. I know sometimes you know like kind of critically listen to people and be like you know sort of poke holes in the sort of arguments they're trying to make against me. So I I enjoyed that aspect of of trials, but. I think going to the DA's office, I kind of really saw what trials are kind of like and, you know, sort of, you know, motion after motion after motion after motion and then month, you know, it just goes on and on and on. But when you finally get in there, I feel like it's a really, really great experience. I hope to maybe experience that myself. We'll see if I'm into that sort of thing. But started off associate attorney at McIntyre Law. Describe that experience. You know, how was it? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Oh, I absolutely enjoyed it. Um, we went to trial every year, sometimes twice a year. So really got a lot of trial experience. Plus, um, Mr. McIntyre is a very, like, he's a wealth of knowledge on running a business. So he was always very good about like saying, like educating on running the business and what that actually meant. Um, and so I got, you know, kind of a full education on that while also learning litigation, which, you know, it goes hand in hand with trial. You got to litigate before you can ever, ever get to trial. So, um, and you know, you'd mentioned mock trial. I did moot court at UNT and absolutely loved it. And moot court is more about like making an appellate argument. And then I did moot court again in law school. I never did any trial advocacy composite competitions. I, I don't know why. I think I tried out and then that's where they put me. It was moot court. Cause that's what I had done before, but, um, that's neither here nor there, but really enjoyed working there. Um, it just came to a point where I was really ready to come back to Texas and be near family. And there's mm -hmm. a large tornado that came through. Um, and uh, it was just like, oh, okay, <clears throat> I can't, I can't do this anymore. I got to go back to Texas. So I really enjoyed my time there and learned so many things. Um, and not just about the practice of law and the business of law. One of the things that he always imparted me was being a part of an organization to protect people, but also protect the profession. And that was the organization of uh, access to justice, uh, OAJ. Uh, we are TTLA, Texas trial lawyers for, uh, so that's one of the things that he always taught me. And I've always been a part of an organization to help kind of give back to the profession, but also connect with other lawyers. And then of course, one of the main roles is just being a part of the lawmaking process and making sure that what they're making is actually good for regular people and get access to the courts and, um, you know, keeping big business and large industry in check. So clearly Mr. McIntyre had a very, very big influence on your life. And, you know, I'm always happy to hear, you know, sort of people helping other people. I think it's a great thing. Uh, I try to do that with this podcast, even though, you know, I'm just some 20 year old, uh, but can you explain and tell the audience the importance of having mentors throughout your professional career? This is a challenging question because this is a, a constant theme and that you will see everywhere on social media that you will hear constantly. And you will struggle, as I did, to find a mentor that really one wants to be a mentor because it takes a lot of time. And then also actually lines up with what you may value and actually want for your life. And so one of the things that I tried many times to find a mentor and a lot of mentorship just came through reading books. And I know that sounds like super, but, you know, thinking um, and Rich, he talks about creating this, you know, basically a committee and it's all these, you know, like imaginary people, but it's really true that sometimes it's hard to find that person who like, you may think, Oh, that's the, yes, that's it. And I will say one thing that has been really good about some social media is like, you can find somebody who really speaks to what you want to do. And they provide so much information. If you just like follow and listen. And it, that just was not the way that it was, you know, becoming when you're, you know, uh, they call them a baby lawyer, a puppy lawyer, <laughs> it's hard. And 
And so I will say it's very important, but I also know that it just looks different than sometimes what we think about in our mind of mentorship. Somebody having like go to lunch with somebody and like, that sounds awesome. (laughs) People just don't do it. And, and so, you know, having zoom helps like, Hey, like a zoom chat always helps. Um, but it is important, but I think the availability of information that we can get now about how people like went through and got where they are and share information is so much better now than it was. So I totally support it, but I also sometimes cringe when people like push so hard and it's like, okay, well, it's sometimes really hard to get people to help, (laughs) (laughs) but podcasts are amazing now. Like there's so many new avenues that we have, but back then, like really books where it was just like, okay, like, you know, reading books and just getting more information that way. And then having people who, um, by way of being my boss were like, you know, here's how it's done. Here's how it's not done. Like that's a level of mentorship and, and learning what not to do is also just as valuable as learning what to do. I mean, the audience can't see it, but I'm grinning ear to ear. That is like one of the most important points I think I've ever heard in podcast in, in this podcast's history. Uh, the availability availability of information on the internet. The internet is like the holy grail for me. Um, and books as well. I, I you know, I'm I'm a big reader. I I love reading and and you know, the, like you just said, like you know, there's so many people out there who just give information. And, you know, you don't even have to personally know them. You don't even have to talk to them. It's just, you know, the information that you get can be so, so valuable for your life. I found that. I mean, print, I mean, just in starting this podcast, I, you know, I, I listen to podcasts about podcasts to figure out what to sort of do. Um, you know, I, I'm always listening to podcasts as well. It's It's really, really, the internet is an amazing thing. And I think a lot of, not, you know, I don't, this is a bit of a generalization. I think a lot of people downplay it. Um, but, you know, there's so much information out there, ridiculous amount of information. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, in, in starting this podcast, you know, I, I just looked it up. I was like, how to start a podcast. I typed it into Google and, you know, you get thousands of results and, you know, you could just read through it and read through it. And, you know, it's, it's trial and error, but you know, there's so much information. The internet is such a wonderful thing. Um, you know, and I, I try to not take it for granted. I'm always, you know, I'm always on my phone, you know, doing just reading, just trying to get new knowledge. But you brought up books, I have to ask, what are some books that have helped you throughout your life? It doesn't even have to be at the law, but just books that, you know, it, it, drop some book, Elizabeth Larrick's book recommendations, live from the Lawyers <laughs> in the Making podcast. Let's hear it. Yes. Well, my goal this year is 40 business books. So I do get a little bit nerd out on like personal growth and business books. And so sometimes I have to be like, wait a second, can you read a different book? Uh, (laughs) It's not about business, but, um, but I, you know, some of the books that I just love to, to read and go back to is, uh, you are a badass by Jen Sincero. Um, and she also has, you are a badass at making money. Um, and, great books, funny, like good sense of humor, funny, like, you know, um, and I just did a a podcast, like talking about books that were really helpful for me last year that I loved. Um, and it's a book I read a lot, loving what is by Byron Katie. And that's, uh, she's got this and you can just YouTube and there's tons of YouTubes of her doing her final four question steps that you can just do the four question work. And it's just so helpful sometimes when you're stuck in a thought, you know, um, Greg McEwen, he also has a podcast and his book it's on my list now is effortless, but his first book, essentialism. So great. Um, and then, um, never split the difference, Chris Voss, which is about negotiation, um, which is funny because I'd never read it. I never took any mediation or negotiation in law school, which is, you know, I was thinking I'm going to be a trial. We don't do that. No, no. We, oh my gosh, negotiate so much. So read a negotiation book. It's so helpful. There's another one I haven't read yet. I think it's getting to yes, getting to no, like (laughs) same guy. Um, Well, those are some of the main ones. Um, I mean, gosh, I'm trying to think of 
some books that I, that I have some sitting over there. I'm looking over my shoulder, be like, <laughs> what's up next. Um, I just finished a book by Rachel Rogers. Uh, we should all be millionaires. And that's a pretty fun one. Um, if you're working on your, uh, like, you know, thinking about business and you know, your money, money, money mindset is a very good book there too. I'm trying to think of some other ones that I have so many that I just absolutely love, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you you rattled off about it, it, about ten there, so I I think <laughs> it will suffice for now. I mean, I wrote them all down. I'll be reading. Well, if anybody has any suggestions about business books, like I said, I'm trying to read forty, which you think, oh, that's no big deal. It's actually quite a few, and then you have to be pretty diligent about like making your list. So I'm still making my list of of books uh, to read. So send me suggestions you have. Nate, do you have any suggestions? Oh my goodness. Don't, don't put the pressure on me like this. Um, I got this one, this one right here. I'm about halfway through. It's a, it's a, uh, how to influence, uh, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie made all the way back in 1920. Um, but it is an excellent book. I absolutely love it. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I actually just finished another book yesterday. Um, it's the portable Nietzsche. I'm a very big philosophy. I'm a philosophy student. So I always love reading philosophy. Hold on, I'll do one more book recommendation. Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics is unbelievable. Oh, don't give me that face. <laughs> oh, man. Bless you for reading that. <laughs> no, it is honestly unbelievable book. Um, I love it. You know, I, I'm a bit of a philosophy nerd, I will say myself, and a bit of a business nerd. I say it proud. Um, I love the uh, the My First Million podcast uh sam parr sean curry one of my favorites uh i always listen to that they always have awesome people uh i recommend this is crazy rob deerdeck from like fantasy oh, yeah. factory and ridiculousness he is unbelievable he is an absolute superstar that guy is a two-part is like two-hour episodes oh that guy is crazy he is an un unbelievable human being i honestly that was like the most I've ever learned in a podcast before. And I never would have thought it, it would be Rob Deerdeck because I used to, you know, as a little kid, I'd be watching Robin Big and, and me and my brothers. And, you know, he'd be, you know, and the Fantasy Factory even just crazy. But you never would have expected him. He's, you know, this business mogul. You know, he's got the the the, fa the family setting. Uh, what is what it, family office set up? Um, you know, he's got his media company and he, I think he's almost worth like a hundred million dollars now or something. So that those, those are my recommendations. So I, you know, I, I'm always asking people the recommendations because I, I always, uh, I'm a, I'm a knowledge seeker. I love soaking it up. I, you know, I, I just got it. Um, but let's talk about your own Lyric Law Firm. Um, last episode, I, I had a Brad Narstan on and I asked him about opening his own law firm and that pretty much opened the whole Pandora's box of, of the struggles of opening your own law firm. Can, can you tell us a little bit about the process of how you opened your own law firm? Well, I would say you probably already heard it's, it's much different. Um, it's first of all, it's a little mind boggling that like even day one, day one after the bar, like you can open your own law firm, like go for it. Um, and some people do, and that's amazing to me because I'm thinking, wow, you, there's so much you have no idea about and you <laughs> don't know until you get there, you know, like it's, you don't know until you don't know. But I, it was, I took about a month off to really decide, do I really want to do it? And I spent a lot of time at the library, just like, you know, reading through books and, deciding to go for it. Cause I felt like, okay, like there's things I want to do. It's a little un, untraditional. Um, if I don't like it, I can always just go get a job, you know? And so, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a whole, especially with a plaintiff's personal injury work, because there's going to be naturally a gap of income. Like it's going to take a while before you get to, you know, get the cases, but then you also have to get them done. And that just takes a little bit of time to, to work all that up because you're in litigation. And so I had many generous people that helped me out when I first started and I was very grateful for them. And so, you know, got some cases and all in referral and was able to 
work for another lawyer and he paid the rent for my office. So I could have an <laughs> office, um, not thinking I could work from home. I don't know why, but you know, that us lawyers don't, you know, didn't happen until then. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, and people, people have figured it out. Um, but us, <laughs> us litigation lawyers were thinking we got to go into an office and I loved going to an office for a very long time, but yeah, it was, I did not do it in a traditional way of going to get a loan. I just thought I'll just use my personal credit and put it on a credit card. And gosh, that was such a bad idea. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things about running a business that I had no idea about and would have done it much differently with the information and knowledge that I have with about how easy it is to, you know, borrow some money and, do things just a little differently instead of making it as big of a struggle as it was for several years. So, so I, I want to get into the weeds a little bit here because <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm interested now. Uh, you got me hooked. Uh, so going back, what would you do differently? Give us the little game plan of this is how you should actually open your law firm and, and maybe describe the way that you did it. And then the way that you should have Well, I think the way that I would do it is definitely really sit down and understand a little bit of the financial game that needed to be done. And by game, I mean like, because what, what I did was I went and I sat down and I made the most minimum budget, the smallest budget possible. And then I went from there. What I really should have done was, you know, look at, what it would take to have hire somebody and like finance a case and really look at, okay, let's get at this number that, and how long does it take before I'll actually settle a case and that money will come in the door. Okay. So then that go get that line of credit um, or go figure, go get that loan for that. But instead I did, I became very small. I got this, I refinanced all my student loans for 40 years, please don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, you know, like, oh my gosh, because when you have lawsuit loans, that's different than undergrad loans. Like all that cool stuff that's going on doesn't really apply to you. But, um, I went and moved into this teeny tiny shoebox of an apartment. Like, you know, I created, I became the smallest possible and had a, like, you know, and then, and then that really set kind of the mindset and and so I was very, I stayed very small and I didn't hire anyone. And I worked outrageous hours to do all the jobs, um, you know, and I didn't plan to grow when, you know, you, I think you have more of a growth mindset when it's like, okay, like here's how much more the money side of things works. And so therefore like, this is the amount that I must make every month. Like here are these cases that I need to get in. And like, this is how I need to do it instead of thinking very small and then then therefore the growth was very, very difficult, um, because of that, um, that, so that's what I would like really rethink that because just that mindset alone made it very, very hard to, to grow. Um, and I was really forced into it in different ways because I was like, you know, like my car like died and it was like, <laughs> Oh, like, I had to go get a new car and like, <laughs> how do I do this? And so like little things like that, where it's like, wow, this is really playing small. And that part of it was a mindset thing, but also just really sitting down to kind of have somebody talk about that part of it. I had a lot of lawyers talk about the practice of law and a little bit about the, a little bit about the business, but nobody really said, you know, Elizabeth, if you really want to do this, this is how it grows. And this is really how you grow as a lawyer and a business. And, I just didn't have that conversation and didn't even really think about that side. I just thought about kind of the other things. Yeah. The two, two, two things I, I found, I found fascinating there. Um, sort of the second and third order effects of like, uh, you know, starting it and having that sort of minimalist mindset. I heard you say growth mindset, which I've, I've heard that word a lot, um, you know, through reading, um, you know, the sort of growth and scarcity mindset sort of. So can you talk about that? Can you talk about how important it is to have that growth mindset, not to have that scarcity mindset? Well, yeah. And I think it's, if you don't, it's so hard to recognize it until you like 
it, you kind of get down the road. And it, so it, it makes such a big difference when you think small, you stay small. And I used to think that that was a very good thing. And so therefore I kept my, I kept my stories and my thoughts and they kept me very safe. And it really wasn't until I started to get very frustrated and upset and just very stressed as well. Like, you know, keeping yourself small is very stressful. And so it's just like, gosh, what, you know, I have this very small lifestyle. I mean, you know, living in a shoebox, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, but it really like it hampered so many other things that were going on by thinking that small, like thinking that minimal. And then whenever I kind of started to open that box and that was kind of, you are a badass and miracle morning by Hal Elrod really kind of opened like, Oh, okay. Wait a second. You know, this is really something that's holding me back instead of really helping me. And, but then getting out of that, really kind of pushing yourself into that growth mindset of, Oh, I shouldn't shoot for the minimum. I should shoot for the, you know, shoot high and then, you know, work towards those things. And, once you kind of see the ball rolling that way, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like possibilities are really much more open. And so having that growth mindset significantly helps you. And I, I mean, yes, we can talk about like financially, but like, even just like having that with happiness and joy and, and really enjoying things in life, that's part of growth mindset. And so if you or trying really hard to stay small, it takes a lot of energy versus opening up to possibilities of, of growth in all kinds of areas in your life. And it's just like, Oh, this is awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's a really important point that, that you bring up that, you know, the sort of growth mindset does exist pretty much everywhere and in, in, in your life, even, even if it's just your business, um, once you sort of get into that mindset, it, it just opens up possibilities pretty much anywhere. Um, you know, you know, personally, you know, financially, just mentally, physically sort of take that step in, into the world and just kind of feel like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can grow into, you know, you know, doing financially well and, and not having to live in a shoebox, like, like you said. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's very, very important to, to hear for me and especially the people out there. But I, I always love talking about the growth mindset. I think it's it's been very important for myself. When when I first learned that word, I was like, what is this? You know, is it hogwash? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, sort of looking into it deeper and, and really just going throughout life and seeing the way that I did things and, and being like, you know, maybe I do have a scarcity mindset. Maybe, you know, I do believe that, you know, oh, I can't do this. No, I mean, you know, they always have the, the cliche things. I think it was in like my elementary school, like you can do math and, you know, you can do English, not can't change in the can't the can't that sort of thing. Um, but you started your own podcast. What went into that? What was the decision to start your own podcast? Um, one other thing about growth mindset is it comes from a place of knowing our job as humans is to continually grow. Mm. And if you don't know that, or if you don't believe it, then, but that's like, and you, I think completely understand this, like the drive to read books and like the knowledge and the con, like that uh, comes from that place of that thought of like, what is our intention? It is to grow always and become the best that better, better versions of ourselves. It's like, oh, that's, that's, you know, personal growth. Blah. But no, really, like, <laughs> even if it's you want to be the best personal, like the best Nate possible, like that may be like health and wealth and friends and like self-expression, you know? So, you know, it's, it's such a, like, comes from a place of like, what is the value? The value is always growing. There's a lot of value in that. So just off, off Listen, who, who, who knew go. we'd be getting so philosophical today i, I love, oh, it. love it right? i do love it i really okay. do love this i mean <laughs> i mean awesome. as 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 much as you know he gets some some flack is a bit of controversial figure but nietzsche i mean he talks about this you know the, the sort of concept of the higher man um you know that's the sort of thing he talks about you know you keep going higher and higher and and you know that that sort of you know 
top sort of person. He he may you may not reach that, but it's it's the action of of going to reach it and and reaching that pinnacle. That's what life is all about. At least that's how I feel. It's my duty to grow. All right, I'm gonna stop myself before I before I start going crazy talking about Nietzsche. Um, but... <laughs> it's the journey. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh my goodness. You're going to get me started over here, I swear. Um, okay, the podcast. Yes, but please talk about the podcast while you start. Well, I could philosophize. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, um, so marketing is a big part of running a business. And um, I was turning. So doing litigation, being a lawyer, and I was really turning into being a consultant and really leaning into doing focus groups and leaning into doing witness prep. And... So, okay, well, get yourself out there. And so blogging was still kind of a, it is still an option, by the way. Blogging is a, what people were doing. And they were saying, oh, well, write more things. Oh, you need more SEO and on your, and so I would just really struggle to write consistently and in a voice that would make sense to who my audience was. And so then I was, working through lawyer channels. And I've always had kind of a business coach uh, along the way to help me. And I had Ernie Svensson was my business coach for a while. And he said, you know, what's way easier than blogging? Cause he was like one of the number one lawyer bloggers for years and years. He was like podcasting. And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to do a podcast. He's like, just do it. So I'm like, okay, great. So um, he introduced me to his producer and they made it super easy for me. I did. I will tell you, I I just what you did. I looked it up and I thought I can learn how to do this. And I said, no, no, this is not my wheelhouse, not my specialty. I shall hire someone and turn it over to them and just do the content. So podcasting is much easier for me compared to sitting down and write a blog. I still try to sit down and knock out a blog every once in a while. And, you know, we're both on LinkedIn. So I think we're both, you know, LinkedIn now is like kind of the place uh, where you can do like kind of short, shorter stuff than a blog. So that's kind of where it started. And I've gone through machinations of just being me to, I think last year, I really tried to have an interview every single week. And then now I've kind of just stepped a little bit back to do every other week episode, just because it be, kind of became a lot of, um, it's a lot of extra stuff to do. So, and I really wanted to like stop and really focus in on content. And like, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do for, that's my strategy for 2024 is to really slow down and do some really effective, a little bit longer content that would, I normally do about, you know, 15 minutes. So I'm trying just a little bit longer for people, you know, 20, 25 minutes. So. Yeah, that, that's an important point. I, I, ha I've had some fellow content creators on the, uh, on, on the podcast before Dan Cotter, Patrick Eckler, they both have the, uh, the, the podium and panel podcast. They do it every week. They talk about law cases. Um, obviously myself, I guess I can, I, I am technically a, a content creator. It's funny when I say that it really, really is funny. Cause it's, you know, I don't, I, I think it, I don't think of myself as a content creator. Um, you know, and, and fortunate enough, unlike uh, yourself, I do have a lot of free time. So you know, this this sort of takes that up. But I enjoy doing this, though. I definitely enjoy the podcast, and and I it's always nice to meet fellow podcasters out there. Uh, you know, but uh, like un, unlike you, though, I do not have a producer. I am the producer, the writer, the re director. I guess that you want it's it, it's. You know, sometimes, you know, um, I only I sit in class and just do the podcast stuff. I'll be honest. Um, and, but um, but I'm not responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Listen, not saying that the professors are bad or anything. But, you know, I, sometimes I'm on my grind and I and I I can't I can't get away from it. I'm like, oh, I just got to I just got to get it done. I'm like, it'll take five seconds. And then I'm doing it the whole class. Um, but so interesting point talking about content. Um, I have to ask because I've I hear this I hear SEO all the time. What is that? This is more of a personal question, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Search engine optimization. Oh. So everyone's always trying to figure out the Google how to get to the top of Google, and mm, there's no. lots of mantras or there have been. Oh, it's organic. Oh, it's paid ads. Oh, it's you know. And I've never really tried to get too deep into, you know 
trying to get my, you know, website to number one or anything like that. As there's so many algorithms that go with it, but you know, for a while people were like, oh, we just need to SEO your website and just keep writing and Google will love you. And then you'll get, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know if any of that is true, but that is what I have been told. Yeah, the, I I always hear that word associated with the algorithm. So it definitely it definitely makes a lot more sense for me. Um, now, I got I got this is this is the new question. It's it's fairly new, but I I keep asking it to everyone. I feel like it's a good question. Um, so Elizabeth, throughout your day, it's gonna sound weird, but just hold on. Um, what are the sorts of things that you're consuming, not food, uh, sort of reading, uh, throughout your day, maybe on social media, maybe some people that, that you like to read every day, you know, just reading books, what are the types of things that you consume on a, you know, daily basis? What, what's crossing the transom of your mind every day? Well, I have a pretty regimented schedule about social media, okay. so I, always read 20 minutes a day because I'm on my mission to read 40 books. So I try to knock that out in at lunchtime. And so it's whatever, you know, kind of business book I'm working through. Um, I do um, LinkedIn because you got to, you got to be active on there for the algorithms. Um, and I follow a lot of people who are like my friends, uh, Sheila Wilkinson as somebody that I follow and read um, Alex Hermosi. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun. Um, Cody Sanchez is a new one that I, Oh yeah. oh yeah. You're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so those are people that I like, I will go and seek out and like kind of read their content. Um, and you know, I really try my best not to look at. So LinkedIn is on purpose at, you know, very specific times on my calendar. Like, okay, it's Monday. It's, you know, 12 go for five minutes and you know, do the thing you got to do and read. Um, other than that, uh, you know, it's Instagram. I will go read kind of the same people. And Rachel Rogers is another person on Instagram. So Cody Sanchez for sure on Instagram and then, uh, Rachel Rogers and then somebody else, Sheila Wilkinson again. So some of the people who are always on LinkedIn that they also do an Instagram channel with, they'll do the stories on there. Although i there's so much advertising on Instagram. Sometimes it's like, I ah, forget it. I got it on LinkedIn because you know, everybody kind of cross posts anyhow. So. I love, I love the Alex Hormozzi shout out. I forgot, I forgot to name him in my recommendations. I'm, I'm so sorry, Alex Hormozzi. I know you're not listening, but. Um, <laughs> Maybe just you're listening. We'll say his name several times. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just going to keep saying it. Hopefully the algorithm will pick it up. It will carry it to him. But I, oh my, I love. I my my brother actually bought his book for 99 cents. Not not the new one, the old one though. I haven't got I haven't got to read it yet, but uh, I paid full price for it by the way. It's <laughs> fantastic. It's really great. It's it's there's a lot of stuff and I get a lot of book recommendations from Ernie Spenson. He has a podcast Ernie the Attorney. I think it's the 80/20 principle now. Um he's somebody that would be super great for your podcast too, so but yeah, his book was great. It was, there's so much in it though. I can understand why, like, cause he's like, if you just do everything in the book, like you will literally, he gives you the, the complete roadmap and he does, but it's like, whoa, it's a lot. Like, and also it really makes you want to start working out. <laughs> it it does. Jim launch. Oh my goodness. I love, I love the story. He's one, he really is one of my favorites. My brother showed me him. Uh, he sent me like his videos one time. He's like, you got to check this guy out. And I'm like, all right. And and I watched the videos. It's like this low resolution, low quality camera. He's in like his closet. He's, he's always got like the, the, the nose thing. My, my whole family started wearing those because of that guy. And and Cody Sanchez too is unbelievable. My family, we almost bought a laundromat. We really, we were real close. We almost did wow. it. This the small business uh sort of sort of thing there. We we were very close. We were really thinking about it. M me and my brother went visited a couple um around Long Island where I'm from. So shout out Cody Sanchez. Shout out Alex. You should have done it. You could. Oh, I know we should. Wouldn't need it. this podcast anymore. So. <laughs> 
I would be I would be working laundry manager right now if if we bought one, which I would have loved, honestly. Um, those sort of those sort of you know they're already generating money. Honestly, the the numbers were astounding. Um, to see and you could take out a loan, you could pay for almost ninety. I'm I'm gonna stop myself before I go crazy here. Um, and start going on and on about how you know you can pay for ninety percent of it, get put ten percent down, and the business pays for itself. You could pay off the loan in a year. It's a wonderful. It sounds thing. magical, doesn't it? It does. It sounds too good to be true at moments, and I'm like, "There's no way." But yeah, you you do the numbers. And you're like, "Oh, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is a true thing." Um, so I asked. I was trying to think of what the other question is. Oh, I forgot it. I've never done this on the podcast. I forgot the question. Um, <laughs> the but, other person that I've been listening to is um, I will make you rich. Uh, Ramet Seth Sethi Seth. I've never heard of him. Oh, he's so good. And I always get people's newsletters because I, as a lawyer, I like to read the long content. Like I, I want you know the the four points that I get from Cody Sanchez. I'm like, okay, give me some more stuff. She's got a pretty good newsletter, and so does um. I will teach you to be rich. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, okay. Anyhow. I tried to buy you some time here for your question. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Um, so, but we're here. We're at our final question here. The final question here. What are your words of wisdom for the, I do this at the end of every episode. What are your words of wisdom for the aspiring law students, the law students, and even the legal professionals out there? Well, for law students, I would say, and I always tell people who are like, oh, some, someone that wants to go to law school is... Um, there's so much you can do with a law school degree. I think it is so cool. All the things that we can do as lawyers in so many different ways. It never occurred to me because I was so very much focused and they really do focus you in law school on that when it's just like, wow, the world is, there's just so many things. So that always makes like, wow. And somebody's going like, gosh, you know, all the things that you can do is so cool. Like, how many jobs like we can go do that with this, like this, you know, mindset training. Um, and then of course, you know, you need to like relearn how to be a real person in the world because law school does that to you too. But yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. You don't have to pass the bar if you don't want to be a practicing lawyer. And if you want to be a practicing lawyer, great. And there's so many things you can do there too. I mean, look what I do. I help lawyers try cases. I get to run focus groups and help people testify and never in my wildest dreams was I thinking, Oh, I'm going to go to law school and do this. Like, no. So, I, you know, that's what I would say is it's sometimes it feels very much like there are four, four avenues and that's what you're stuck with. And it's just, it's really not. And you just, like you said, talked about using the internet to figure out like, Oh, what are some possibilities? Or if you want to work in Europe or work somewhere else, like, again, there's lots of opportunities to do that. And most people are pretty well individually like set to work at, you know what? So I was just like, gosh, there's so many things you can do. Don't I'll give the same advice I got. Just get through, just graduate, just pass that bar and then move on. You're a lawyer. Cheers. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, there's nothing, uh, you know, you don't have to be get all A's and be at the top there's there's a lot of room for for lawyers and of course i'm a lawyer so you know more lawyers is a good thing i think but <laughs> and that's what my fellow lawyers would say too uh but there is a little rethinking you have to do once you've been through that law school training so well elizabeth i couldn't agree more and that's the pod well thank you so much for coming on and for everyone out there listening thank you for tuning in and i will see you in the next one